The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The Employment Law Show is ready to take off. The email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And back by popular demand, we haven't had him here for a while, our good pal Alex Luchaferro from the San Fuero Tamarkin Law Firm. Alex, good to have you along, pal. I haven't talked to you for uh, for quite some time, but I know you're you're champing at the bit to get at some good stuff today. We're going to talk about termination of cause. We want to get to a bunch of emails as well. But first, the week that was, I know you got a couple things on your plate you want to discuss. How are you, pal? Hey, John. Thanks very much. Great, uh, great to be here. Thanks for the warm Warm welcome. Uh, always a real pleasure. Let's get started this week. Let's get warmed up and ready to chat uh, and talk about a couple of matters that came across my desk, John, just this week. Uh, and actually, a gentleman I spoke with just yesterday, uh, first situation I'll tell you about, John, involved the person who called me because uh, he was actually just curious. He had a question, and this happens all the time. Uh, John, people just call in, they email in, they have a small question about the situation they're dealing with, and we try and get back to every single person that contacts us. And this gentleman had a question about overtime pay. So uh, he was about a year into his employment, not too long, so not a very long service employee, but he had been working about 50 hours a week. Despite COVID, his line of work has been very, very busy, uh, and he wanted to know about overtime pay. He's been paying, he's getting an annual salary, no overtime pay over and above that. And the reason he was told that he wasn't owed overtime pay is because he's considered a manager. And my initial reaction to that was, yeah, actually, that's correct. If you are a manager, technically, you are not entitled to overtime. Managers are exempt from overtime pay under the Employment Standards Act. You don't, if you're a real manager, you don't get overtime. And so the company can ask you to work, you know, extra hours and, you know, you're owed pay for the time that you work, of course, but you don't get time and a half over and above 44 hours a week, which is right. what overtime generally is. So, but then as the conversation went on, I asked him some more questions. I found out this person was in sales and he, and he actually had a sales manager position. But it turns out, John, he didn't manage a team of salespeople, which is generally what a sales manager right. Uh, uh, is, right? You're managing a team of salespeople. Uh, he was just in charge of a territory. He managed the territory and he sold products in that territory. And so I had to back up and say, well, hold on a sec. Your title says manager, but you're not actually a manager. You're not managing other employees. You don't have the ability to hire and fire. You're not, you know, setting schedules and resolving, you know, issues with your team. Uh, you're just a salesperson, really, mm-hmm. despite the title. And because of that, uh, John, it turns out that this gentleman is owed overtime pay. And so now we're ha- we're going to uh, reach out to this employer and say, hey, hold on a sec. Not only is this person, this guy owed overtime pay because you've mischaracterized him as a manager when in fact he's a regular employee, you actually have a team of sales managers who you've been doing this to. And so it's opened up a can of worms for employer for this particular employer who has been che- treating his sales managers his sales people as managers for the sake of overtime pay it is a rookie mistake john on the part of this particular employer this should be really really obvious stuff if you have sales people uh, and they're working over 44 hours a week they're going to be owed 
uh, overtime pay. I don't care if you call them sales manager or sales director or a vice president of sales. If that person doesn't have managerial authority, if if, if they're not actually managers in their job, they're going to be owed uh, overtime pay. And this employer is going to have to come to that realization, uh, John, and they're going to owe these people thousands and thousands of dollars. So from an employee's point of view here, you want to make sure you're treated fair, fairly and correctly. And all it takes is a call or an email to an employment lawyer to figure out a situation like this. From the employer's perspective, you need to get advice you know, when you're either starting a business or operating a business, a mistake like this is going to end up costing you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It can get you in trouble with the Ministry of Labor. Uh, that could lead to problems with CRA potentially. Uh, as an employer, you want to make sure your ducks are in a row with respect to how you're paying your employees. Yeah, we often talk about that, and, and quite often we get comments saying, you know, guys always talk about, you know, the benefit and, and you know, saving the bacon of the of the employee. But you focus just as much on employers as well as far as putting together properly drafted employment agreements before getting out there and hiring people and, uh, you know, solving disputes for employers as well. So this show really is based for everybody, employer and employee, to your point. Uh, what else uh, What else you got going on, brother? Yeah, now the second matter, John, and, and, and you know me, we've been doing this for quite some time now. I always like to talk about severance. I always like to talk yep. about severance packages that we see on a daily and on a weekly basis. Uh, you, you know, negotiating severance packages uh, is pretty much the bread and butter uh, of our work. And unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, John, we're seeing a lot of downsizing within organizations, a lot of restructuring. And so, you know, I spoke with a, a, a nice lady actually um, uh, this week who unfortunately after almost 10 years in her job is being let go. She's been, been given a couple of months notice of her termination. So her actual last day of employment is, I believe, in mid-May. And, and the company has not only given her that notice, so she's actually kind of working through a notice period when she knows her last day is coming up, but they've actually made her a severance offer, a monetary offer uh, on top of that. Uh, and, and, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about this situation, about her situation specifically, is that, you, you know, as employment lawyers, we handle all sorts of different kinds of disputes, uh, you know, whether it's harassment in the workplace or constructive dismissals or terminations for cause, which, again, we'll talk about uh, in, in a few minutes. But, you know, as I mentioned, the bulk of our work, John, is negotiating reasonable severance packages and sometimes negotiating for employers as well. And we like to give examples of what we see day in and day out and, you know, with these kinds of examples. And we want to illustrate to our listeners the value, uh, you know, that we provide in assessing and negotiating severance packages. So let's get into the specifics of, of this lady's situation. Now, yeah. keep in mind, uh, when we're talking about severance, uh, severance is, is almost always, except for the very, very rare situation, John, Severance is going to be based on an employee's age, their years of service with the company, and the position they held with that company. So the older an employee is, the longer they've been with the same company, the more senior or the more specialized their position is within that company, the more severance they're going to get. That's the way severance works. So as I mentioned, uh, this lady was employed for 10 years. She's 60 years old. So, you know, quite close to retirement in her words, not right. mine. She was hoping to retire in the next couple of years. 
And, and she was working as a business analyst. Her her title was finance manager, but similar to our first you know week that was uh, a story. This lady wasn't a manager; she was just a kind of business uh, analyst. Now, when they terminated her employment just this past week, they offered her a total of six months as a severance uh, uh, package. Uh, first couple of months as notice, and then the rest uh, as pay. And I'd say, John, the first, you know, most people's reaction in a situation like that is, oh, okay, six months, half a year, not so bad. Maybe that's reasonable. Maybe that person can find another job, uh, within that, uh, you know, within that time period. So, you know, the company must know what they're doing here. We've got to trust that an employer is going to make the right call. And that's wrong, uh, John. <clears throat> Excuse me. That, that's a very dangerous assumption to make. And here's why. Based on this nice lady's uh, age, 60 years old, her position, which was business analyst, and her 10 years of service, she's not looking at six months as a severance package, John. She's looking at 12 months as a severance package. That's the right number for somebody who's 60 in a very kind of specialized and senior position, having been with the company 10 years. That's a 12-month employee as far as their severance entitlements go, not six 12 and that's double obviously uh i can you know I, i'm not great at math john but i could do enough <laughs> that i know that that's double and so you know we're talking about uh you know someone who's actually owed an extra fifty thousand dollars as her severance entitlement yeah. so the company's basically shortchanged her uh, you know by 50 grand and that's exactly why these kinds of conversations are so important. You need to know your first impression of a severance offer as a layperson, as someone who's been let go, can be completely wrong, John. Not by the tune of you know, by the, to the tune of a few bucks, by fifty thousand dollars in this lady's case. And so, again, we're going to be assisting her. This is not going to be a complicated uh, matter. We're going to help this lady get the severance that she's owed, and we're going to be able to increase the company's offer by tens of thousands of dollars and probably something in the range of about 50 grand. Fantastic. We'll take a short break. That uh, is not an uncommon scenario to be patched up and fixed by Alex and the rest of the team. It's not a bizarre situation. Yours can be fixed as well. I want to reach out, by the way, after the show anytime, one 821 Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Susan, thank you for uh, patiently standing by. Hope your weekend so far is, is excellent. How are you? I am good, thanks. How are you? Great. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Um, yeah, so I've been uh, working for a company for close to 40 years. Uh, I've been working from home um, for about 20 years, the, the last uh, eight, about eight, six, six to eight years, pretty much full time. And um, now when COVID, uh, you know, is uh, over, they're talking about um, uh, going back to a, kind of a, a model where people, they want people to come in two to three days a week. Um, but since I was really not working at home and I, I really don't have a team um, you know, it, it's a it's a global team I work with. I'm just wondering what my rights are if I if they can force you to have to go into the office. Yeah, interesting, uh, interesting situation, uh, Susan. So, so it sounds like the work from home is kind of completely unrelated to COVID in the sense that you've been doing this for kind of years and years now. And because of that, 
yeah. your work from home situation is basically a term of your employment. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't need to be necessarily in a contract per se, but because this is what you've been doing, this has been okay. the practice for so long, it's become a term of your employment. And if the company now wants to change that, um, then listen, they may be able to. However, if it's going to be a significant change, Susan, if it's going to cause you to have to, you know, travel into work, uh, you know, back and forth for, you know, an hour or two hours every day, you know, because of the commute and whatnot. And maybe there's a particular reason why you want to be working from home, you know, even COVID aside. And, and again, my point is, you know, if it's a really significant enough change to you, then an employer might not be allowed to do it. You would have the right to say, no, I'm not agreeing to this. This is a term of my employment and I'm allowed to force you, the employer, to abide by it. So you might have some rights and some protections in, in that respect. I would, of course, very respectfully and kind of professionally stand my ground, maybe not now, but maybe when they actually try and impose this whenever they they plan uh, to do so. Again, I, I would say no. I would say respectfully and professionally, but I would say no, sorry, guys, this is a term of my employment. I'm not wanting to come in. Uh, listen, unless your workplace is around the corner, Susan, and it's really no big deal, uh, then you know what? Uh, I'll have to say the employer might might you know be allowed to force you to come in a couple of times a week. But if it's going to be a big deal, then you'd have the right to say no. Okay, great. Thanks for the, the advice. Appreciate it. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it. If uh, if it ever comes uh, comes to pass that they're uh, you know creating some sort of friction, no problem. Give Alex a call or a member of the team one eight five five eight two one. 5,900. She said 40 years. That is an impressive work term for one place. I wanted to mention that. Usually we've heard 30, 35 before, but 40 is just phenomenal. Just phenomenal, man. It's incredible, John. And and you know what? Those those employees are few and far between yeah. uh, now. Lots of those employees, of course, are, are retiring. And, you know, unfortunately, nowadays what we're seeing is employees you know, every few years move from company to the company. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing for an employee. Oftentimes that comes with, you know, pay increases yep. or, you know, uh, employers uh, kind of poaching employees, and that's going to benefit the employee. But, yeah, those long service, 40-plus years of service employees, uh, very, very rare to see. So credit uh, credit to our caller for, for sticking with an employer for that time. She must be doing something right. Richard, thanks for, uh, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Excellent, my friend. What uh, what happens to be on your mind today? Well, um, the the company I work for, uh, it really looks like they're they're going to be closing down in the next, let's say, six months. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're a big multinational company. I've been there twenty eight years, and I'm wondering what kind of severance package I would be uh, entitled to. Sure. Yeah. Great question, uh, Richard. And obviously, that's uh, you know. That's never uh, a, a positive when an employer is suffering and, and uh, you know, might be shutting up shop. Just to confirm that point, uh, uh, Richard, when you say closing down, do you, do you think there's a concern here that the company might actually be going bust, going bankrupt uh, no. and, and closing down that way? Or are they just clo- closing this particular office or, or plant? They'll be closing down my, the plant that I work at. Got it. Okay. Fair All enough, right. and that's fine. And and you know, listen, bankruptcy is is basically the worst case scenario for for an employee. But in a situation like this, Richard, when the company is just you know shutting down one particular office or one particular factory or or plant, your severance entitlements don't change, right? You're owed severance like any other employee, despite the fact that the entire place 
is closing down. So just to confirm, Richard, are you a, a unionized or non-unionized employee? Uh, non-unionized. Okay. You said you've been there for 28 years. Uh, how old are you, Richard? I'm 60. 60. And what do you do there? What's your What's your position with the company? Uh, I, I'm a shipper. I drive a tow motor. Okay, fair enough. So, sixty years of age, twenty-eight years of service, and you know, in a in a shipping position, you're you're pretty darn close, if not right at, uh, uh, Richard. What an employee's full maximum severance entitlements would be, which would be twenty-four months, so two years of pay. Now, I think because of your position, Richard, it might be a touch less than that. So you might be looking at something in the range of maybe 20 to 22 months. But listen, you're in that ballpark, uh, Richard, because of your 28 years of service, which is tremendous. And credit to you uh, for sticking with the company for that long. And because of your age of 60, where, you know, of course, with all due respect, it's going to be tougher at your age to go out there and find you know, find new employment. And for those factors alone, again, you're looking at basically very close to the maximum severance package that anyone would ever be owed. Generally, the cap on severance is 24 months or two years. And like I said, Richard, you're pretty darn close. So, you know, if this does come to pass, if the employer does shut up shop and you're, you know, you're sat down, whether it's, you know, over a phone call or an actual in-person meeting, you're given a bunch of documents, at the, the, you know, and the cover is a termination letter. Obviously, Richard, don't sign anything on the spot. Uh, whatever the offer is, even if it's, you know, if it's a 20-month offer, whatever it looks like, and I, quite frankly, I doubt it will be. They'll probably offer you something less than that, uh, uh, Richard. But whatever the offer is, take it home with you. Say thank you very much. Give us a call, and we'll review the package together. We'll make sure it's exactly what it needs to be. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, what we're seeing in these kinds of situations is, you know, uh, offers uh, that are, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. So I wouldn't be surprised, Richard, if the company makes you an offer at, you know, 12 months or 14 months or something like that. Again, listen, don't sign it. Uh, we'll get you the proper severance package that you deserve if it's not made as an offer from the company right off the bat. Oh, okay. So, what would uh, what would be a time frame? Let's say I had to come and see you and blah blah blah. You would go over this. Mm-hmm. What kind of time frame am I looking at by the time I would get my uh, my money? Yeah, it's probably quicker than than most people think, Richard. Usually, it, it it's a matter of weeks. So, really? uh, you know, typically we'll reach out to the company. It might take them a week or so to respond. Uh, and at that point, we're in a negotiation, and it probably takes another few weeks to wrap it up uh, afterwards. So, you know, it's it's typically not a months or you know, God forbid, years long process uh, where you're having to wait for your money forever. Usually, these matters can be resolved. I would say within about six weeks or so, max. Sometimes much much quicker than that. Usually, all you know, sometimes what it takes is just one one or two back and forths, and uh, and you're done. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it shouldn't be an issue. That shouldn't be a barrier for anyone. You shouldn't be worried about uh, about negotiating a severance package just because how long it might take. Like I said, usually it's quicker than you think. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking at least a year. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, 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 no chance. No chance, except for kind of the rare situation where an employee has to start formal legal action and, and whatnot. Usually it's much quicker than that. Oh, okay, great. Richard, appreciate that. I'm going to uh, appreciate your time uh, this morning. I'm going to give you the number to reach out. Don't hesitate to uh, to reach out to Alex or a member of his team. No problem. One eight five five eight two one. 
5,900. And that is a very common belief. I mean, quite often it goes, you know, eight, nine, ten months, possibly a year with, say, a disability law case because there's there's intricacies and there's all kinds of moving parts in those. But, you know, Alex, generally when it comes to employment law matters, I mean, it's the common law. It's There's there's very little ambiguity in this. I mean, you rode what you rode, and it comes down to a, a, a negotiation. And I think in, in many cases, possibly Richards and some other phone calls we'll get this morning, that people think that the employee uh, the employers now, because of COVID-19, get a break on severance, which the exact opposite is true. The job market is tough. There's fewer jobs out there. There's, you know, there's, there's less positions. There's fewer positions. So sometimes you'll actually get enhanced severance, contrary to what people believe, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right, uh, uh, John. And I think it's... You know, it's a it's a pretty obvious point that a lot of employers kind of you know get intrinsically, which, which is that these employees who are getting let go at this time, and I mean especially now with this most recent lockdown, stay at you know the, the stay at home order, etc. Uh, I mean, it's next to impossible to find a job, and except for in very particular industries, it's going to be really, really tough. And again, employers know that, um, and employees can use that as leverage over the employer to make sure that they get the proper severance package, to make sure that they have enough financial compensation that they're legally entitled to to hold them over until they can find that next job, whenever it is, and it's probably going to be you know several months down uh, down the road. So, no, I mean, in terms of how long a severance negotiation might take, uh, employees shouldn't be hesitating. They definitely shouldn't be hesitating because, uh, you know, they think it might take longer than it, than it usually does. Again, the, most of these matters are very, very straightforward. Employers have an interest. They're actually vested in trying to resolve this sooner rather than later because it's costing the employer money to negotiate these kinds of severance packages. So they want to get them resolved uh, too. And not only that, but to your point, because of COVID, and and really this is a necessity, you know, this is not just an argument that we're making up here. Because of COVID, employees are owed every single penny of their full severance entitlements, of the actual severance uh, that they're owed because of the job market and because there aren't that many jobs out there really and there's lots and lots of supply there are lots and lots of people looking for work and that means that you know unfortunately lots of people are going to have a hard time finding that next job you know at least uh, expand your knowledge base when it comes to this sort of thing maybe you're not being let go or it's not on the horizon maybe you've got a secure job but if you've got a friend or a family member possibly a colleague sitting next to you virtually that is that uh, maybe in some sort of strife, you want to reach out to Alex. That's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll take a short break and get right back to it. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Employment Law Show alongside Alex Luciferro asking or at least answering all the, the questions coming in. Email anytime, even after the show. Reminder, help at employmentlawyer.ca. I'll give you another website before we get back to the phone so you can use uh, anytime you'd like. It's it's free. It's anonymous called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It covers on one website. So many of the things we discuss here on the show several times during the week and half for years, including the severance pay calculator, is wrapped up into that website as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Check it out. But uh, always, top priority. Back to the phones. Lenny, thanks for standing by. Good morning. 
Hey, Lenny. Hi. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, it's actually Sunny, but that's fine. My question All right, Sunny, is, go ahead. No problem. I've been listening to the show, the, the show for a while, um, but I never heard this question or um, anyone discussing it, but how is severance taxed? Yeah, that's an excellent question, uh, Sonny, and you're right. It's not something that comes up uh, very, uh, very often, but it can obviously have a big impact on, well, really, what what you end up with in your pocket at the end of the day, right? I mean, so severance is considered uh, employment income. So, you know, it's going to be taxed at the end of the day. It's considered income. Uh, the, you know, the federal and provincial governments, they're going to take their share. That's for sure. They always they always do. But there are a couple of ways if you're negotiating a severance package, and this is something that we assist with uh, as well, not only the amount of severance or so the number of weeks or the number of months that, uh, months that you're owed, but actually how that's going to be paid. And there are a couple of ways in which you can kind of minimize legally, of course, the tax that you have to pay. One is that a severance package can be paid as what's called a retiring allowance. Now, a retiring allowance, as it's called, and this is what the CRA calls it, uh, is has nothing to do with retirement. So it doesn't mean you have to retire. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be working moving forward. It's simply uh, what a severance payment can be called under the Income Tax Act, so as per the Canada Revenue Agency. And a retiring allowance is taxed at very specific amounts depending on how much you're actually being paid. The most common tax bracket uh, for a severance payment is 30%. So a flat 30% withholding rate for income tax. And 30% is actually often less than what you're actually paying kind of week to week or month to month on your paycheck. So it is a bit of a tax savings in that respect. You also save, if, if a severance payment is paid as a retiring allowance, you also save on employment insurance and CPP, Canada Pension Plan, deductions. So it's a way in which you can put a little more money in your pocket up front as a severance payment. And again, that's called a retiring allowance. The other way in which you can save uh, on on tax as a severance payment is to put the severance amount into an RRSP, uh, a, a registered retirement savings plan. And in that way, you're saving entirely on tax. If your employer puts the severance payment straight into an RRSP account, it can be a group RRSP through your employer or actually your own individual kind of private uh, um, pension plan, then you're not going to pay any tax on that amount. So it's a way to basically get the gross number, the gross severance payment into your RRSP plan without any deductions whatsoever. Now, listen, of course, you need to be able to afford to do that, right? Because once you put an amount into a pension plan, you don't want to start taking it out because then you will be taxed on that amount. But, you know, if you can afford to put a severance payment uh, into a pension plan, you're sheltering it completely, 100% from tax. And that's in an ideal way to minimize tax if you're agreeing upon a severance uh, a package. Those are the really the two main ways, uh, uh, Sonny. Otherwise... Severance is going to be taxed like any other pay that you receive from your employer. Okay. Well, so with the retirement, uh, retiring allowance at 30%, is that regardless of what um, tax bracket you're in? Or It is initially, although that's okay. a good question because, of course, if you, you know, if you receive a severance package and it's taxed at 30% and then you go on to you know, find another job and earn income for the rest of the year – well, when you do your taxes next year, that'll all come out in the wash. 
uh, right? So it depends on what you earn for the rest of the year. If you don't earn anything, well, then you'll probably stick right around that tax bracket. If you go straight into another job and you're making a high income, well, then yeah, you'll probably have to pay some of that tax uh, tax back. But it's a it's a way to minimize the initial tax hit so that you you know end up with with more you know basically money in your pocket uh, at least initially but yeah of course once you do your taxes the following year it does usually come out come out in the wash depending on what you earn makes it thank you thanks lenny appreciate that i hope that answered all your questions man i didn't it's like tax law it's like you know your stuff man i wasn't expecting that much of an answer (laughs) alex but uh but well done man Good grief! That's why you make the uh, that's why you make the bucks, right? That's why you reach out to an employment lawyer like Alex anytime you got any questions like that. You don't want to go into uncharted waters, and it could be damage done. So there you go. Reaching out anytime. By the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the uh, number to reach Alex at the firm afterwards. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And as we uh, get some more phone calls lined up here, want to get into uh, termination for cause. We hear this term all the time. Uh, what does it mean exactly to be terminated for cause, especially for those who are new to the show, right? Yeah, absolutely, John. And, and you know, a termination for cause. And, you know, if this is ever if this ever happens to you, it will be pretty explicit in the conversation that you have with your employer and in a, the termination document, it's usually a letter, the termination letter that you receive when you're being let go, it usually, and almost always, I would say, explicitly says your employment is being terminated for cause. And what that means, what your employer is telling you when they say that is they are terminating your employment because you did something wrong. Whether that's for performance reasons, whether that's for misconduct, whether that's for incompetence or, you know, anything else that you might have done wrong that you can imagine doing wrong in your workplace, your employer is saying you did something so wrong, so bad that we're terminating you right now for cause. And what that means is without any severance and without any notice. So you're being terminated on the spot. We are basically kicking you out booting you out the door, and we don't owe you anything. This is the employer talking now. We don't owe you anything beyond your last day of actual work. No severance, nothing. No notice, absolutely nothing. And you know, we'll talk about uh, w- what a legit termination for cause is or not, but that's basically uh, what it means, John. Your employer is terminating you without severance, without notice, because you did something wrong. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Back at it and uh, continuing on here. Gord, thanks for standing by. Yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully, uh, these are easy ones. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, so just about the uh, severance thing, I was just wondering what what he thought of uh, uh, the federal severance level. Like, they think it's outdated. Uh, I believe it's like uh, two days per year uh, compared to your uh, 24 weeks uh, maximum, um, number one. Uh, number two is uh, under in, in a collective bargaining agreement, um, say, Article 10 says a company doesn't have to pay stat holidays uh, under certain conditions. 
But later on in the CBA, Article 20 says the company will follow all provincial, federal, stat, regulatory items. Would that later article erase the earlier one in a blanket mm. policy? And yeah. if I could, and if I could add one more in, um, if during the collective bargaining agreement, if the government comes out with say uh, legal paid sick days that you wouldn't have had the chance to uh, uh, bargain because it came within a year of the uh, CBA, um, would that uh, number 20 article apply there as well? Yeah, great questions, uh, Gordon. And, and listen, always appreciate the call. Whether the questions are easy or hard, we're, that's what we're here for. We're here to answer them. So, uh, yeah, no, that's that's excellent. Let me see if I can if I can go through those one by one. So, first question you asked was with respect to uh, an employee's, I guess, minimum entitlements, as we call them, under federal legislation. So, for those of you who kind of aren't aware, there are kind of two different levels or categories. Uh, of minimum employment protections, what we call statutory protections in Canada. There's provincially regulated employment, which is the vast majority of employers and employees uh, out there. Almost all of you listening right now are provincially regulated employees. But there are also federally regulated employees, things like banks, railroads, transportation companies that go across provinces. Those uh, places of employment are going to be federally regulated under a piece of legislation called the Canada Labor Code. And Gord, you are asking about an employee's minimum severance entitlements under the Canada Labor Code, which you're correct. The calculation is basically two weeks plus two days per year of service. Now, here's the real answer to your question, Gord. Those minimum entitlements almost always uh, mean very, very uh, little. And I would say they're almost meaningless because for the vast majority, and I would say you know, probably 95% of employees out there, uh, those minimum entitlements are a floor only. They represent the absolute minimum of what an employee can re- expect to receive. Your actual full severance entitlements are going to be based on your age, your position, and your years of service. And it's going to be much, much more than what those minimum entitlements are. So, you know, you asked my opinion on those on those federal minimums. My opinion, Gord, is they actually matter very, very little. They, they set a bare-bones minimums. What matters is what we call your common law entitlements or your common law severance, which is, again, severance based on your age, position, and years of service. That's what matters, again, for the mass, vast majority of employees out there. Now, oh your God. next two questions are related to unionized workplaces. And that's where, uh, 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 Gord... A lot of times what we see in collective agreements are an employee's severance entitlements being limited to those minimums. So if you're a unionized employee and you're federally regulated, it could be that your collective agreement says all you get is the Canada Labor Code minimums. And that's unfortunate. It's actually one of the, I would say, few downsides of being a unionized employee, which is that almost always your severance entitlements are minimum. You have great job protection. You probably have very good pay compared to non-unionized employees. You have a lot of positive things about being in a unionized workplace. One of the negatives is your severance is not going to be what it should be if you're ever, if you're uh, ever let go. Now, moving on to your questions, and forgive me for going on here, but you asked three questions, so no this, this no is going to take Thank me. You. Thank you. Yeah, no answer. problem. This is going to take a bit of time. John, bear with us. Grab a cup of coffee. Already um, got it. 
So uh, your second question, uh, Gord, was with respect to um, kind of, I guess, competing terms within the collective agreement, one saying you're not owed stat holiday at the federal level and one saying you are. For, correct me if I'm wrong there, uh, Gord. My again, opinion again. would be, and I think the correct analysis here is, even in a unionized setting, the union and the employer have to, they have to abide by that minimum uh, those minimum statutory protections. So the Canada Labor Code, which again provides for only your bare minimum protections as an employee, they have terms in them that 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 uh, provide for statutory holiday pay. It's a little bit different at the federal level because, for example, Remembrance Day is a federal statutory holiday. So if you're working on Remembrance Day as a federally uh, regulated employee, you'll get uh, statutory holiday pay, basically. My opinion, Gord, would be that you can't contract out of those minimums. You can't have a collective agreement that says you don't get stat holiday pay because that's actually going against the piece of legislation, the Canada Labor Code. So I think that would probably be resolved in the employee's favor. I don't think an employer would be able to take advantage of that because they'd be going against, basically, the Canada Labor Code and the union would potentially have a grievance and they'd potentially be able to apply, you know, to file a complaint under the Canada Labor Code uh, for that holiday pay. So, I, I, again, I think that's – and actually I would say generally speaking in a situation where you have conflicting terms within an employment agreement, that is going to resolve itself in favor of the employee as the person that accepted the agreement, not the person that created the agreement and the person that – created the agreement is always going to be the employer. Oh Lord, God. forgive me. If you can repeat the third question, because I've now gone on long enough that, that, that uh, <laughs> I've, 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 I've lost the last question, but we've got a few minutes left, so I want to tackle it. Oh, my God. Great answers, man. I know where to come. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the last one was just, uh, okay, it's uh, basically uh, over the issue in the news, uh, basically sick days. Uh, yes, they were, that's right. Uh, federal sick days was passed by, if he's done nothing else, uh, Mr. Justin Trudeau. Uh, there was basically three paid sick days, two unpaid past September 1st, 2019. Um, basically, uh, employers refusing to pay them. Um, would that Article 20 cover it again? Where the company yeah. has to, would the company have to cover all stat, agrees to cover all statutory legislation from provincial or federal? Yeah, another good question, and I'll answer. I'll only have to answer this one quickly uh, because we're running out of time, Gord. But it, similar to the previous point I made, um, if uh, amendments have been made to the Canada Labor Code to now include paid sick days, uh, then yes, uh, that would have to be a minimum right for all employees, including unionized employees, and the collective agreement would have to be amended as such, or it would just have to be acknowledged by way of, of an addendum or something like that. Now, you know, I don't know what the internal process would be, so there would have to be some sort of uh, communication and, again, amendment made to the collective agreement between the union and the employer, and that might take a little bit of time, but it would have to be uh, incorporated. Again, you cannot run afoul of these uh, pieces of legislation of minimum employee protections like the Employment Standards Act, like the Canada Labor Code. And, you know, th that's the least an employer could do. They have to be followed no matter what.
And that will do it for another morning. Fantastic. Want to reach out, Gordon, and everybody else to Alex. Get uh, get some more information, 1-855-821-5900. Don't hesitate. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll talk to you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.